This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, January 28th, 2021. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this daily dose of observation, insight, and a bit of absurdity. It's good to have you along today for the ride. Thank you very much for being there. I do appreciate the fact that you jump in and uh, subscribe and uh, do other things <laughs> like Come along for the ride on YouTube Live. The live stream is up and running this morning. And I say this morning because I record this at 9, 8 central each day. And um, I was on Facebook Live for quite a while. And then they they kept <laughs> they kept hassling me, man. I kept having issues with, with Facebook Live. So I decided, hey, well, let's just, let's just move. And uh, so far, not much of the same. I have had one little thing where I got uh, one strike one time from YouTube for, uh, um, well, I, I, let's see, I got put in YouTube jail, and then they wouldn't explain why, and then when I confronted them about it, they, they, they wouldn't explain why, but they took me out of jail, <laughs> and I've had one little issue with one piece of music that runs before, in the pre-show, in the pre-roll, uh, because I... I this goes live about five minutes before we get started, and the... The, the music that plays is just generic stuff that I've actually I've paid for. But for some reason, one of the songs got tagged one day last week. Eh, okay. So I went over to Facebook, uh, not Facebook. I went over to YouTube and, and went into their creator's library and just pulled out a bunch of generic pieces of music to use for the uh, pre-roll. So no more of that. It is a, um, I'm looking, it's kind of a grayish day in the neighborhood. It's going to be. It's going to be kind of cold here, mid forties. I it's uh, it's just a day, really. Honestly, if you could, to, it's a day to stay inside. And so, so what am I going to be doing today? <laughs> Not staying inside. I'm going to be out on the run today. Eh, uh, my mom needs to do some things, so we're going to go grocery shopping and get some lunch and and um, spend some time together catching up. She's had a house guest for a while. That house guest is gone, and so we're back to our regular weekly schedule of grabbing a bite and going to get some groceries. So that will happen today. Uh, as long as I'm doing a little housekeeping here next week, I mentioned this on, uh, on social media yesterday, but I've been forgetting to tell you about it here. And that is that uh, I'm going to be out of town next week. It's more family stuff. Um, I'm going to Pensacola to, uh, to hang with my dad Tuesday through Friday, I think it's it's from Tuesday onward next week, and um, so for sure there won't be podcasts Tuesday and on through the rest of the week, Tuesday through Friday, um, unless things change. There should be I should be able to do one Monday, and if that's the case, uh, or if that's not the case, I should say I'll let you know. So that catches us all up. Um, my dad, uh, my uh, my stepmother is having knee replacement surgery and uh my dad is uh his, his memory's going and he's he's going deaf and and so he he just needs somebody to hang with him to help him out in case in case uh he gets stuck in something he just doesn't need to be by himself so i'll be spending some quality time with my dad next week 
and then be back in the saddle the week after that for the second week of February. Well, let's see. Is there anything else? Uh, not much that I can think of. The little side project I've been talking, been I've been mentioning from time to time is is rolling along. Um, the uh, something I can't tell you details about. I got I got excited about it yesterday because uh, uh, there is uh, we we were doing some testing with uh, the project that we're working on, and um, I was listening to the. Let's see. What's the best way to put this without totally giving everything away? I was listening to what we're working on yesterday um, because we're trying to build a structure to to put things into. I was listening to the way the structure worked yesterday, and I started getting excited because um, I I really am looking forward to breaking the news, letting you know what's happening because I really think it's I really think it's going to be big. I'll just say that. We'll see. More on that as it develops. I can't talk about it just yet. But trust me, as soon as I can, I will be giving you a web address. I'll be giving you instructions on how to participate. I'll be, it's, it's really, it's really, it's going to be good. And I think people who come from the same frame of reference as I do are going to like it. And they're going to like it a lot. More to come. No, I wish I could. I can't tell you anything else. I wish I could. Well, kids, things in our universe are getting bizarre, more bizarre by the day. You know, we've been watching Washington, D.C. for the past four years slowly melt down into this, into this delusional pool of weirdness. Uh, the, the, the squad has been there. They've been, they've been publicly demanding all of this, the socialist insanity, which we have fought for generations to destroy, to get rid of, and they're openly in Congress demanding it, you know, and, and, and with, we've been thinking, ah, there's no way this is going to happen. This is all fringe weirdness. And now we have a president who is, who distanced him, distanced himself from all of that weirdness during his campaign. And he's signing executive actions and orders, and he's enacting a lot of this leftist insanity. And it's happening fast, very, very fast. And I was thinking this morning that we have, we have a very short time to deal with the insanity that's being put down. I mean, the House could very well turn in, uh, in, in the next year. Next year, when there are elections for the House of Representatives, we're so dissatisfied. Most Americans are so dissatisfied with what they've seen. They're so disgusted by the way these people treated uh, our president. And they're so disgusted with the, the weak need wimpiness of the Republicans in the house of representative that uh, a lot of those people are going to be going home and looking for other jobs. Now that's got to happen. And I believe it will happen, but I also question how much damage is going to be done between now and then and how much of it will be irreparable? Uh, we're going to talk about a little of that, some of that today, because I, I meant to yesterday, and I included it in the show notes on linkreport.us yesterday, but today we are going to talk about HR1, and I'm going to break some things down for you so that you can understand how dangerous HR1 actually is, how insane HR1 actually is, and how vital it is that we make it known to those who represent us 
in the House and the Senate that it has to be defeated. Because even Democrats in the House and the Senate have to recognize that it's going to destroy the nation as we know it. And if they don't stand against it, against it, we will elect people who will and who will correct this horrible error. It's just insane. But we'll talk about that a bit later on. We will start with, uh, with something else, though, on a bit of a lighter note. We have a new press secretary, Jen, Jen Saki. You know the Japanese rice wine that they serve hot sake? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's spelled P-S-A-K-I, but it's pronounced like the Japanese rice wine, sake. Jen Saki. Um, nowadays, when she is approached by the press, she has basically a pat answer for everything that she doesn't want to answer. I can, I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you, but I'll circle back with you if there's more to convey. Um, I'll have to just circle back with you. We can circle back with you. I'm happy to circle back with you. I can circle back. Uh, I will have to circle back on that one. That's an excellent question. Oh, such an important question. Uh, we will circle back with you and we'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting question, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We Since will certainly trend. circle back with you more directly. Uh, I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. Yay. Congratulations. Really? I, she's going to have to circle back. I, it, Previously, we had a press secretary who would open her binder, find the answer that you were seeking, and give you the answer because she was prepared. The press hated her because her preparation basically shot them down practically every time they had some sort of a gotcha question. And there were many times when she just... She would throw stuff up on the video screens and tell them all of the times that they were being idiots and show them how um, how biased they actually were, and and she she would just walk away. It's like a mic drop moment. But what do we have now? Yeah, I'm gonna have to circle back to you on that one. And it it happens over and over and over. It's happened so many times just in the time she's been there. I can I'll circle back if there's more I can share with you. I'll Neither, circle yeah. back with you if there's more to convey. Clearly she'll um, be circling back. I'll have to back. just circle back with you. We can circle back with. Oh, I'm happy to circle good. back with you. I can circle oh, really? back. Uh, I will have she's to gonna circle back. Circle back on that one. That's an that's excellent question. Like oh, me. such an important question. Uh, we will gonna... circle back with you. We'll, we'll circle back with you. It's an interesting yeah, question, but uh, we'll we'll circle back. I'm happy to circle back, but I'll have to circle back with you on it. It's a good question, but we'll circle back with you on this today. We will certainly circle back with you more directly. I hate to disappoint you, but I will have to circle back with you on that as well. Ah, yeah, sometimes you just, you just got to roll with it, don't you, kids? I mean, we're, we got so used to getting answers. And you and I, as conservative people, got accustomed to seeing someone stand up and, uh, and face off with the press and tell them the truth. And nowadays, they have an ally in the White House. They have someone who sees the world they do through that warped, twisted, leftist lens. And they're just as content as they can be to let her say, well, I'm going to have to circle back to you on that one. Really? And then the only person, apparently, the only person in the room who's actually asking substantive questions, that would be Peter Ducey from Fox is being ridiculed as not getting straight answers is, bless his heart, 
Bless his heart. So here we have, I'll circle back to you, and then, and then this. I, I think it's a bizarre situation that because we now have wokeness running our nation, that we cannot speak accurately, that we cannot use terminology which is accurate. It may not be flattering. It may not be pretty, but it's accurate. Well, President Joe Biden is every bit the executive order tyrant we thought he was going to be. Compared to the most recent U.S. president, Biden has set the record for the most executive orders with 40 of them, 40, signed at this same point in his presidency. Adding to the list is an executive order relating to the Rona, the coronavirus. No, Biden's executive order did not provide financial relief from the draconian lockdowns or plans to reopen schools. Nothing to help you in the hurt caused by government. Instead, the folks at BizPack report that under the guise of combating racism and xenophobia, Tuesday, President Biden banned federal workers from referring to COVID-19 as the China virus. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the China virus. Oh, gosh. Oh, he said China virus. Can't have that. Because, of course, he's representing the woke, and that makes him now the idiot-in-chief. This order states, quote, During the coronavirus disease 2019, uh, COVID-19 pandemic inflammatory and xenophobic rhetoric has put Asian Americans and Pacific Islander persons, families and communities and business at risk. The federal government must recognize that it has played a role in furthering these xenophobic sentiments through the actions of political leaders, including references to the COVID-19 pandemic by the geographic location of its orient, orient, origin. Really? (laughs) Really? You got to be kidding me, right? This is the insanity that we are dealing with today. This is the lunacy. That referring to the place of origin is now xenophobic and insulting to people from where it came. And if you believe that, God bless your heart. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, the 28th day of January, 2021. You made your weekend plans yet? You know what you're going to be doing? Yeah, me neither. Um, But I do know that one part will be unplugging from everything, getting away, spending some time in the quiet. Because... You gotta. That's all I'll say about that. You gotta. Well, for four years, we were informed by our establishment, the media, that is, that President Donald Trump's behavior was 
not normal. The abnormality of Trump's behavior became a near rallying cry for the self-appointed heroes of journalism, who spent every waking hour poring over his bizarre tweets and his bloviating self-absorption. The media dedicated themselves to preventing Trump's supposed normalization. This is from DailyWire.com, an article by Ben Shapiro. Now the media inform us we have been graced by the most normal, normal person to have ever normaled, President Joe Biden. Good old Joe. Biden, they proclaim, is utterly boring, nondescript, barely worthy of coverage. His administration, too, is paradigmatically normal. Yasha Munk of the Atlantic tweets, It is so nice to have a boring president. Alleged media watchdog Brian Stelter asked this week whether Biden is making the news boring again, adding, The Biden White House is clearly a break from the chaos and incompetence of Trump world. For his part, Biden obviously revels in this sort of coverage. This week, his favorite ice cream flavor was tweeted out, as well as a retweet of First Lady Jill Biden's announcement that Champ and Major, the new first pets, had entered the White House. On a personal level, Biden is clearly more normal than Trump, although beating, uh, treating Biden, a career politician worth nearly $10 million, as the height of normality is rather stunning. The goal of the established media isn't to point out merely that Biden is sort of American uh, is a sort of American American everyman. It's to use that supposed normalcy to disguise the fact that his agenda is absolutely abnormal. The dirty little secret of the Trump administration is that despite Trump's personal abnormality, his agenda was well in line with past precedent and with mainstream American opinions on everything from taxes to military policy. Trump did not radically shift American policy. Biden will. Within the first five days of his presidency, he issued 30 executive orders, compared with four for Trump, five for Barack Obama, and zero for George W. Bush. Those executive orders included endorsement of radical reinterpretation of American history killing the Keystone XL pipeline, along with its attended estimated 11,000 American jobs, forcing the military to allow troops to undergo gender reassignment surgery, and forcing federally funded institutions to allow biological men who identify as transgender to compete alongside biological women, among others. He is reportedly pursuing an immigration plan directed toward reopening America's borders. He has staffed his cabinet by intersectional box-checking. Biden's policy is indeed radical. But because Biden is presented as a normal person, we're supposed to ignore all of that. We're supposed to simply be grateful for the return to normalcy, complete with caving to the teachers' unions that seek to keep schools closed indeterminately, re-entering a long-dead deal with the Iranian theocracy, firing government staffers with whom he disagrees, and lying openly about the vaccine distribution plan he inherited. Meanwhile, our media pat themselves on the back. It's rare to see a profession declare itself irrelevant, but that's what many in the media are doing these days. According to Stelter, it's refreshing 
that Biden's team promises accountability and transparency. According, according to Margaret Sullivan of the Washington Post, the media must learn their lesson from the Trump era and cover Democrats more sycophantically. Joe Biden may be a relatively normal guy, but none of this is normal. And pretending it is represents just another way for the media to reject legitimate criticisms of an administration seeking radicalism right off the bat. And that's Ben Shapiro's article from the Daily Wire called Shapiro, called This Is Not Normal. Ben nails it. This is not normal. Normal at all. Not at all. You see, Joe Biden is not a normal guy anyway. He's a career politician. He spent his life working in politics. He is a member of a tiny, tiny handful of people in the United States who have that career path. And in spite of being in public service for decades, he's now worth around $10 million. The vast majority of that wealth appeared suddenly just Poof, just suddenly after he retired from the Senate. Just all of a sudden, he's wealthy. So he doesn't live like you or I. He, in spite of his claim to riding the train to work every day, back in his, back when he was, you know, trying to be Joe, regular Joe, Senator Joe, just the regular guy, despite everything he has claimed, he has no idea what it means to live like you do. None. None. Which is why he gets in the faces of people who live like you do who disagree with him and basically shouts them down. How dare you question him? He's regular Joe but he knows more and cares more than you do. And thus he fits the description of a progressive, a leftist. He portrays himself as normal, and the Democrats portray himself as normal, dull, boring, for exactly the reasons that Ben Shapiro states in his article. So that he can be just regular old Joe. Oh, come on, man. That's who he can be when he's talking to people, when he answers people who challenge him. Come on, man. As if to say, oh, that's crazy. Why are you talking like that? That's silly. You know better than that. Oh, come on, man. He is regular old Joe. He's the front man. But once again, it's important for you and I to learn this valuable lesson if we haven't learned it already. And that is, never, never, never trust a politician when they're talking. Always watch what the politicians do. Always. Because politicians work a lot like close-up magicians. Guys who do the three-card money on the street for money and they uh, they do the tin the cups and the balls trick and they do all of these close up magic tricks 
always pay attention to what the other hand is doing. Because in politics, they hold out one hand with this big, glowing, wonderful, pretty thing in it that they're doing for you. But their other hand is in a pocket somewhere doing something else. While you're watching the pretty thing in the hand extended to you, what they're really doing is going on behind their back or in their pocket. This is the world of politics. It's dishonest. It's deceptive. It is driven by lies. And Joe Biden is a lifelong politician. He has a history, almost a 50-year history, of lying to the people. He's been caught again and again and again, lying to the people about many different things. The woman he is married to now, he had an affair with. The woman he was married to before was killed in a tragic accident, and he lied about how she died for decades, blaming a truck driver, an innocent truck driver, and accusing that truck driver of driving drunk when he was not. He has lied about policy. He has lied about... He's lied about practically everything. I'm fairly certain that if he thought he could get away with it, he would lie to you about the color of a tie he's wearing when it's obvious to you what color it is. Joe Biden is far from average Joe. podcast for Thursday, the 28th day of January, 2021. Mm. It's funny, scanning through social media during the breaks, I always find things and I don't have time to pass them along. I just, (laughs) there's something I really, 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 really want to pass along. And um, it's from patriotpost.us. I hope I can get some time. There's a word that's being used a lot by the left in government. It's equity, not equality. It sounds a lot like equality, and everybody's all for equality. Yeah, we, I mean, all men are created equal, right? We we celebrate equality in the United States of America, but the word is not equality. It's equity, and the Biden administration has an obsession with equity. Equity is race-based policies built around a single troubling troubling word. It's equity. And equity is not equality, not by any stretch of the imagination. Equality is about opportunity. Equity is about outcome. And I hope, I really do hope, I got time to get to that today. We'll try to, okay? First over at Daily Caller, um, Mary Margaret Olihan writes, an article called the Biden creates a commission to study Supreme court reform. This is something we were all warned about and it's happening. President Joe Biden's administration is creating a commission to study Supreme court reform. Politico has reported the new bipartisan commission 
will be under the purview of the White House counsel. Multiple members have already been selected. Sources familiar with the discussions told Politico, including Yale Law School professor Christina Rodriguez, former president of the American Constitution Society, Carolyn Fredrickson, and Harvard Law School professor Jack Goldsmith. During the 2020 presidential election, Biden refused to address whether he would pack the court, insisting that he would not provide such an answer until at least 180 days after he became president and after he had received a recommendation from a bipartisan commission on changing the Supreme Court. He said this back in October, If elected, what I'll do is I'll put together a national commission, a bipartisan commission, and I will ask them over 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to reform the court system. It's not about court packing. There's a number of alternatives that go well beyond court packing. Well, during the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Democrats threatened that nothing is off the table if Republicans confirmed Barrett, and Democrats took control of the Senate and presidency. Republicans nevertheless confirmed Barrett in October. Rodriguez is also formally served as a deputy assistant general in former President Barack Obama's DOJ. And Goldsmith formerly served as a deputy assistant attorney general in former President George Bush's DOJ. The selection of Goldsmith for the commission may spark criticism since the Harvard Law School professor vocally advocated for Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the court. Goldsmith wrote in a Time Magazine article in 2018, He will also be an influential figure within the Supreme Court building. He is a brilliant analyst with a deep scholarly and practical knowledge of the law. His legal opinions are unusually accessible. He is a magnanimous soul. Fredrickson has previously expressed support for expanding the Supreme Court. He said in a 2019 interview, interview according to Politico, I often point out to people who aren't lawyers that the Supreme Court is not defined as nine, a nine-person body in the Constitution, and it has changed size many times. We don't know, because it's not immediately clear what Rodriguez's opinions on court reforms actually are. So, what Biden said about 180 days, six months, he's fulfilling. I would suggest to you, this is just me spitballing, but I think I'm right. At the end of 180 days, he will recommend adding justices to the Supreme Court. This is all just political theater. This is all just a song and dance to distract everybody and to give the Biden administration the ability to say, well, we looked at it. We investigated it. We spent six months checking into it. We did all of this hard work, and this is the conclusion we came to. The only way to make things equitable, there's that word, the only thing to make things equitable for people of color in America is to expand the court. This is what will happen. So six months from now, check back. Check back. In July, yeah, sometime in July, maybe August, the beginning of August, I'd say probably late July, we will see that these people took their time, 
wrote reports, expressed opinions, and then Biden's people, his handlers, the people who are actually making the decisions because he's too busy taking a nap, the, the, those people will stack them all up, thank them kindly for their hard work. They'll probably give them some sort of an award for the wonderful work they've done. They will heap praise upon them. Uh, Jen Psaki will, uh, will uh, step to the microphone, and she, and she, she will say, um, she'll say something about, you know, she'll say something about, uh, um, <laughs> about circling back. And then she'll heap praise upon this commission, this committee of people doing the hard work, and then they'll do what they were going to do to begin with. It really won't matter what these people say. And I can say that because this is the way that the progressives operate. This is how progressives work. And I, 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 if you don't see that, I hate that for you. Because it's so obvious. They have a track record. This is how they operate. This is what they do. It's what they do. Okay, real quickly, I've got a few minutes here. Let's talk about equity, shall we? From over at PatriotPost.us. Um, Let's see if I can find out exactly who put this. Douglas Andrews over at PatriotPost.us put this together. It's called Equity Isn't Equality. Mm. White House Dem- Domestic Policy Advisor Susan Rice. Do you remember Susan Rice? She's the person who went on, uh, went on the talking head shows and, um, and lied. Bald-faced lied to America over and over and over repeatedly about Benghazi. You remember that? Yeah, that was her. She said, quote, every agency will place equity at the core of their public engagement, their policy design and program delivery to ensure that government resources are reaching Americans of color and all marginalized communities, rural, urban, disabled, LGBTQ plus religious minorities and so many others. That's what she said. Lending further. She said that in a press briefing. Yesterday, lending further evidence to the Biden administration's seemingly pathological fixation on a single word, equity, not equality, equity. That's the word they're fixated on. And to be clear, equality and equity aren't the same thing, not even close. The root of the former word is one of the self-evident truths embedded in our Declaration of Independence. It refers to the state of being equal, especially in status rights, and opportunities. The latter word, however, refers to systems and institutions that are fair and just. Fair and just, eh? And who exactly gets to decide what's fair and just? <laughs> Rice tells us as if, uh, <laughs> Rice tells us, I, I'm the descendant of immigrants from Jamaica and enslaved Americans. As if that non sequitur makes race-based discrimination any less repulsive. But don't worry, she says, I've assembled a first-rate team to drive this agenda forward. Equity. Anyone who can't see the potential for mischief with policies and programs built around such a subjective term hasn't been paying attention to Joe Biden's first week in office or to Barack Obama's eight years in office. Another way to look at that loaded word is to see it as the left's solution to systemic racism. Of course, this, is, this presupposes that systemic racism is really a thing, rather than merely a cudgel with which to keep pounding away at Whitey. But as Peter uh, Kirsenow, an attorney and member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, notes, it isn't a thing. 
Instead, it's a canard, unless you're a white or Asian person looking to land a job or gain admission into an elite university. He writes in National Review, The term equity has become ubiquitous of late. It has replaced equal opportunity and equal treatment with equal results. Pro tip, equity is intentionally nebulous, innocuous-sounding shorthand for leftist social engineering. Whenever you hear or see the term outside the context of finance, understand that somebody's likely pulling a fast one on you. We'll say this, though. Rice is as good a pick as any to implement such a noxious agenda. If nothing else, she's a team player. We learned that back in 2012 when, in the immediate aftermath of the terrorist attack on our diplomatic compound in Benghazi, she disgraced herself by hitting the Sunday talk shows to repeat a pernicious lie on behalf of the administration that the storming of our compound and the murder of four Americans wasn't a planned terrorist attack but a spontaneous reaction by protesters to an utterly obscure anti-Islamic YouTube video. I would add a video nobody actually ever saw until after they talked about it. Never forget that. As for counting by race, brain surgeon and former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson, for one, isn't a fan, saying, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and I can tell you what, a, what real racism was like. It was an everyday event. The world is very different here in America right now. And to use race as a mechanism to obtain power and position, I think, is really quite shameful. The good doctor, though, was just sharpening his scalpel. He went on to say, in fact, race relationships have deteriorated. Why have they deteriorated? Because the great emphasis of the great emphasis, trying to create white guilt and black victimhood, those are two very bad things. And when you put them together... It results in some policies that absolutely make no sense. So the real conflict here is between common sense and idiocy. Common sense versus idiocy. That sounds about right. So you're going to be hearing that word every day, multiple times a day. Equity. It doesn't mean equality. It doesn't mean fair opportunities. It means the government's heavy hand coming in and dictating outcomes. And that never results in good things. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, January 28th, 2021. Thanks so much for being there. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Final segment of the day. Let's dive in here and talk about HR1, shall we? It is a bald-faced, blatant, naked attempt by the Democrats to engineer how every election turns out among other things. 
At heritage.org, there is a, a piece, and I put it in the show notes yesterday at uh, linkreport.us. And um, I want it because I want you to have it. Uh, I, I changed the structure of things a few weeks ago, and, and uh, so now I set, a, I set aside a separate website just for the show notes every day. It's called linkreport.us. Go there, and you will see the, the, the links to the articles of the day, and not just the day, but some that I feel like, eh, these are important. I'm going to leave them up here. So what you'll see is the latest ones on the top, and then down at the bottom are stuff that's are things links that have been around for a while that I just can't bring myself to, to delete yet. I just think they're important. I think you need to read them. So go over there today, linkreport.us. Now, if you want to uh, refer friends to the podcast, that's still dailyperspectivepodcast.com. Dailyperspectivepodcast.com. And uh, I just secured another web domain I may actually be using as a link for that as well, but um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I got a, I got, I can't tell you about it. That's, I don't want to, but I can't just yet. Um, let's see where to pick up here. Um, okay. HR one federalizes and micromanages the election process administered by the states, imposing unnecessary, unwise and unconstitutional mandates on those states and reversing the decentralization of, <clears throat> excuse me, the American election process, which is necessary for protecting our liberty and freedom. The bill interferes with the ability of states and their citizens to determine qualifications for voters, to ensure the accuracy of voter registration rolls, to secure the integrity of elections, to participate in the political process, and to determine the district boundary lines for electing their representatives. Here is what H.R. 1 would do. Now, I've got nine minutes. Let's see if I can get through all of this. It would seize the authority of states to regulate voter registration and the voting process by forcing states to implement early voting, automatic voter registration, same-day registration, online registration, and no-fault absentee balloting. Just for reference, this first point, if you want to see an example of it, look at California. California has done this. What's in this? California has done that. And once it did that, Republicans stopped winning elections. It is a totally Democrat state now because of this. Moving on, it'll make it easier to commit fraud and promotes chaos at the polls through same-day registration as election officials have no time to verify the accuracy of voter registration and can't, um, can't anticipate the number of voters, ballots, and precinct workers that'll be needed. It will hurt voter turnout through early voting by diffusing the intensity of get-out-the-vote efforts. It raises the cost of campaigns. Voters who vote early don't have the same information as those who vote on Election Day, missing late-breaking developments that could affect their choices. We saw that happen in this election. Degrade, it'll degrade the accuracy of registration lists by automatically registering individuals from state databases, such as DMV and welfare offices. By registering large numbers of ineligible voters, including aliens as well as multiple or duplicate registrations of the same individuals. It will constitute a recipe for massive voter registration fraud by hackers and cyber criminals through online voter registration not tied to an existing state record, such as a driver's license. 
it will require states to count ballots cast by voters outside of their assigned precinct. Overriding the precinct system used by almost all states that allows election officials to monitor votes, staff polling places, provide enough ballots, and prevent election fraud. Mandates no-fault absentee ballots, which are the tool of choice for vote thieves. It will prevent election officials from checking the eligibility and qualifications of voters and remove ineligible voters. This includes restrictions on using the U.S. Postal Service's National Change of Address System to verify the address of registered voters, participating in state programs that compare voter registration lists to detect individuals registered in multiple states, or ever removing registrants due to a failure to vote no matter how much time has gone by. It will cripple the effectiveness of state voter ID laws by allowing individuals to vote without an ID, and merely signing a statement in which they claim they are who they say they are. It will violate the First Amendment and could cover a vast range of legal activity. Voter intimidation and coercion that prevents someone from registering or voting is already a federal crime under the Voting Rights Act and the National Voter Registration Act. But H.R. 1 adds an additional provision to prevent interference with registering or voting that is so vague that it could easily interfere with free speech and other lawful activity. H.R. 1 will expand regulation and government censorship of campaigns and political activity and speech, including online and policy-related speech. H.R. 1 imposes onerous legal and administrative compliance burdens and costs on candidates, citizens, civic groups, unions, corporations, and nonprofit organizations. Many of these provisions violate the First Amendment, protect incumbents, and reduce the accountability of politicians to the public. It will reduce the number of federal election commission members from six to five, allowing the political party with three commission seats to control the commission and engage in partisan enforcement activities. It will prohibit state election officials from participating in federal elections and impose numerous other ethics rules that are unconstitutional or unfairly restrict political activity. It will require states to restore the ability of felons to vote the moment they are out of prison. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment gives states the constitutional authority to decide when felons who committed crimes against their fellow citizens may vote again. Congress cannot override a constitutional amendment with a statute. It will transfer the right to draw congressional districts from state legislatures to, quote, independent commissions whose members are unaccountable to voters. H.R. 1 makes it a violation of federal law to engage in partisan redistricting and mandates inclusion of alien population, both legal and illegal, in all redistricting. This is anti-democratic, unconstitutional, it's an, it's an anti-democratic, unconstitutional measure that takes away the ability of the citizens of a state to make their own decision about redistricting. And it will violate separation of powers and directly interfere with the president's constitutional duties. H.R. 1 bans his political appointees, such as the attorney general, from participating in, directing the defense of, or assisting in any matter, including lawsuits against the president's policies, programs, executive orders, or his enforcement of the law, in which the president is named as a party. 
So as you can see, HR1 is designed for a single purpose. It is designed to give the Democrats complete and total control of the election process on a federal level. It takes your state's control out of their hands so that your state legislature no longer has dominion over what actually happens in your state as as with regard to the vote. Everything is federally regulated by the federal government in federal elections. This is not the way a union operates. This is not constitutional. What the Democrats are pushing, and pushing hard, is a package of illegal vote manipulation. They are trying to mandate nationwide in every state of the union what they have managed to push through in California. And as a result, there will never be another Republican politician elected on the federal level. This is their goal. They don't want equal representation. They want fascism. They don't want equal representation. They want one-party power. They don't want equal representation. They want their way, and if you won't give them their way, then you take the highway. The same attitude, the same mindset that would say elections have consequences, we won. You sit over there and just watch what happens. Those people will be in charge of everything. If HR1 passes and makes it through Supreme Court challenges, then this nation will never recover. And possibly, if it is to recover, it may take an armed uprising. Do you want to see that happen? I don't. No intelligent, rational individual does. It's time to pay attention and to put the pressure on our representatives. And it's time to move along for today. God bless you. Have a good one. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.